This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. And today we are talking about the very much Oscar-nominated and very autobiographical film by Steven Spielberg, The Fablements. I'm so glad this finally made it to our cinemas because I've been hearing so much about it. I'm so glad I got to watch it on the big screen. I love this movie so much. Um, I'm unabashedly a big fan of Spielberg anyway. And so this had so many things about it that I really enjoyed. Did you guys also feel like you were suddenly in the 90s when watching this movie? Um, like it's such a it's such a weird feeling, right? Um, and the movie's not even made to look old, but I don't know if it was because of the the Spielbergness of it or the John Williams of it. Um, it has a very 90s uh, feel. And I, I thought like, you know, the funny thing is it's become like so normal for us to decide what to pay for in cinemas based on uh, their blockbuster value. Like, does it have IMAX? Does it have CGI? Does it have like epic fight scenes? The MCU, basically the MCU. Um, And then Steven Spielberg comes along, uh, one of the founding fathers of blockbuster cinema, and shows you that big screens were also designed for movies like The Fablements. Uh, You know, like lo-fi doesn't mean um, uncinematic. Um, what a boss, la, that guy, you know, seriously. Yeah, I think that there's definitely something to that. Um, this movie feels simultaneously really, really old-fashioned, um, but also I can't call it modern or newfangled. I think the only reason I feel that way is because it is coming at this particular moment in Steven Spielberg's career, which is to say at the end uh, or towards the end, and it feels like a movie that could only be made by him at the skill level at this point in his career, partly because prior to this, who would have approved this movie? If if like some guy just walks into a studio and is like, hi, so anyway, here's the pitch. Jewish family, kid wants to be a filmmaker. Then the whole movie is just about that. Kenna. Like I don't see anyone <laughs> going, yes, fascinating. And the movie works largely, and that's not putting down the quality of the film, it works largely because you know who Steven Spielberg is and who he goes on to become. So when you watch, um, you know, when you watch him as, I mean, he's not called Steven, but when you watch young Sammy um, take his first step into becoming a filmmaker, you know where it's going to lead. And I think there's something very special about it. Um, And to go back to your point, Arvind, about about what kind of movie gets you to the cinema. I mean, this is a film about films. And 
watching mm. that on a big screen, watching the flicker of the light, watching uh, scenes where um, actual film strips are being edited. Oh, it's amazing to watch it on uh, on the large screen. Sorry, can I just say that um, I, I want to make a point here, which is that sometimes it's tiring to watch films about films or films about Hollywood. I think um, it can feel kind of meta and exhausting, especially if you aren't necessarily a fan of the film the film is about, if that makes sense. Um, but this movie is a celebration of the art of making movies. And I think that that distinction yeah. just needs to be clear. Yeah. Um, also, um, Shamila, like you said that, you know, the the fact that it's about Steven Spielberg doesn't make it a, a bad thing. But I think... For me, that was my only issue with the movie. It's that you need to know it's about Steven Spielberg to really enjoy or appreciate it. Um, I, I don't even know why it's called the Fablemans. They could have just called it the Spielbergs. It's like it's so it's so true to his own story. Um, I think the whole movie hinges on the fact that Steven Spielberg is who he is today, like this Hollywood icon, and the movie is a deconstruction of that. Right? Um, so many big moments and lines of dialogue and like these wink, wink things only work if you know that this kid is going to go and redefine cinema one day or make Jaws or make Jurassic Park. Um, because the story itself is just, it's like a family drama. It's not even a crazy one. It's just a family's drama. Um, and the only reason I, I think it's more dramatic than it is, is, is because you're looking at it through the lens of this massive celebrity who also had like a normal turbulent childhood. Um, and that's about it. So that's that's my one that's my one big issue with it is that if if you don't know, I don't know if this movie works or not. So I think that there are a few ways to approach the story because there are a few stories being told. Um, like you said, Arvin, on the one hand, it really is just the story about the Fablemans, quite literally, um, a family of, as you heard um, Michelle Williams say, Michelle Williams's character say in that clip. This family is the artists versus the scientists, and you could look at it that way as well. Um, but the other stuff and the stuff that I was very interested in separate to and apart from uh, the Steven Spielberg, ooh, where are the references, what's going on, is the way in which the idea of telling stories was explored, why it is that someone might choose to tell a story, why it is that someone might choose to want to tell that story on film, um, whether it's to fix the unfixable, whether it's to create myths, whether it is to to build, whether it's just out of a love of camera and film and the editing soft, not it's not software, editing hardware <laughs> that that's required. Um, I, I love the I love how in love the movie was with questioning the idea of making films. And it doesn't do it in this neat, problem-solving way, right? Like it resists the impulse to go, oh, this kid was going through a troubled time and so he escaped into the world of cinema. Like that's not what the movie does. The movie is actually very nuanced in the way it presents on the one hand a young boy who has found something that would clearly go on to be the driving force of his life. But at the same time around him, life happens. And then these two things intersect in very particular ways. And I think the, I, I read in an interview that um, Spielberg, when he was filming the movie, there were scenes where he would uh, like just tear up or start crying. And watching the film, I can understand why, because it's a very personal story. I don't think even that it matters that the movie doesn't work if you don't know Spielberg, because as you said, Arvin, this could be a biopic and that's fine. That's fine. Um, 
Also, I was wondering, right, there's the, in the opening minutes of the movie, there's the scene where he goes into the cinema and then he's watching his first movie, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth. And they sh- they, they're focusing on him and, and he's like in awe and, you know, in, in the, all the wonder of cinema is there. All of us have had that moment, right? We've all had that moment in the cinema for a particular movie. I, I wanted to and ask you guys. It was a Spielberg movie. It me. was a Spielberg movie, yeah. right? Yeah. For, for me, it was uh, Jurassic Park. Like that's that's literally uh, the movie that made me go like, oh my god, this is this is a movie. Yeah. This yeah. is the moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what the they moment. can do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, was we... it also a Spielberg movie for you, Lynn? I think it was either Jurassic Park or Evita. So yes or no? <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell. <laughs> Um, which would then explain my love of musicals, which is a separate show. But yeah, I think that um, that celebration and we've seen filmmakers do this quite a bit. I don't know why. I think that the pandemic made everybody very autobiographical and want to look back at their life. And we've seen over the last five years or so, some really, really storied filmmakers choose to tell stories about how it is that they, they fell in love with the cinema. And I think there's something about the sincerity of the moment that despite the fact that we've seen other people do it, it still really worked for me. I'm like, yeah, I, I genuinely feel that rush of of passion and awe. And then it 100% reminded me of my own feelings about going to the theatre and about watching a movie. Lynn, you said um, a filmmaker coming to the end of his career. And I think that's also significant, right? Because it feels like... Touch wood. Touch wood, 100% watching this movie. Touching all the words. I was like so, I was feeling so anxious about this one fact. Uh, But he's earned the right to tell the story, I think. Um, And also, he's earned the right to tell the story. He's also not cutting corners in terms of making the film because the movie is beautifully shot. Um, He brings his A-game in terms of how to tell the story. It's not boring. It's not stodgy. It's funny in so many parts. Um, There are scenes that look straight up like they are they are crafted out of paint in some places. Uh, The the love for filmmaking is still so evident in this movie. It's it's you know, it's all over the place. Um, it's it's so there, right? Um, but also John Williams' car. I just wanted to say, like, it just elevated the movie like nobody's business. Uh, it, it's so subtle, but it's also like so beautiful. And I think like people always associate John Williams with all his more bombastic pieces, right? All the the big famous ones. But the smaller stuff is equally amazing, honestly. Um, and and I think just the the score in this movie gave it such a it's so warm. La. It's so warm and fuzzy and, and and cozy. And I think it's something that you can watch again and again. The rewatchability of this movie, even though you know exactly what it is, is quite high. Like, I, I would definitely give it another shot. Me too. I also think that um, it's funny that we're talking about the beauty because in some ways, this is one of Spielberg's most down-to-earth films. Everything takes place yeah. inside cars, inside um, kind of early 60s homes, inside terrible high schools. There aren't exactly the, the sweeping shots or the moments of arrival that perhaps we, we might think of. And yet the film is really beautiful. And I think that that comes from expertise, frankly. Uh, It comes from expertise. It comes from pacing, although more on that later. Um, Yeah, anyways, we all loved it. We're talking today about The Fablemans and want to know whether you've watched it yet. Do you plan to? Are you a Spielberg fan? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. Sammy? We're going to use Daddy's camera to film it. 
Only crash the train once, okay? Then after we get the film developed, you can watch it crash over and over till it's not so scary anymore. And your real train won't ever get broken. One more thing, Dolly. Let's not tell your father. It'll be our secret movie, just yours and mine. Okay? Okay. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. And together, we're talking about The Fablemans, which is a film directed, of course, by Steven Spielberg, uh, who also co-wrote it along with Tony Kushner. And I wanted to talk about the writing part because um, there's something about the way the family story is told that is really loving, but that's also deeply uncomfortable. And that discomfort comes, I think, from watching what you know to be very personal. And that clip we just heard is a great example of that and it's something that recurs through the movie which is it's ostensibly a beautiful moment um Steven Spielberg is, or the Steven Spielberg stand-in, Sammy Fableman, is getting his first exposure to a camera, to the notion of shooting something, telling something. And then his mother says, but this is our secret. And that's something that keeps happening through the movie. And it's told so well through the writing and the performances. There are so many really uncomfortable scenes in the film. As an adult, Um, right? Yeah, Hmm. watching watching children go through this sort of... um, because they're adults, they're not bad people. They're just flawed, as as most of us are, right? And to watch it through the lens of a child who's slowly beginning to understand that their parents are flawed, um, it's tough. And, and it's also tough realizing that he is contending with his past in this way. So I, I did this thing where the moment I came out of the cinema, um, and then when I was having lunch, I was reading articles about like what is true and what is not. Because... There were so many scenes that were so weirdly, so personal, so hyper personal that I thought they must have, uh, they must have wrote this in some way where it's 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 fiction, right? Just to add drama to the movie. And then I found out that the most dramatic parts of the the movie are actually true, like they're based on his actual life and they actually happen. So for me, that was like the the it it was like it's so it's so weird to wrap your head around that someone would put this out there and he doesn't have to. I think that's the that's the most um, jarring part. Like Steven Spielberg, for all that he is, does not have to tell you any of this. Like he chose to show you, which is something love. But like you said, it is it is uncomfortable, especially when you associate the two and you're like, oh man, like th- this guy's telling us a lot of personal secrets. I mean, he didn't feel he could tell it while his parents were alive. And, and that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Like I... I understood that watching it. I was moved to tears a lot. Um, I felt close to tears very often through this movie and I wasn't even sure why. I think it was because we were watching a bunch of very vulnerable people not know how to be vulnerable and not know how to fix things. And you're also watching a young artist recognising that no matter what, he's always going to have some distance from his family. There's a point at which the, the family is in a true moment of crisis and Sammy pictures himself shooting it, thinking about how it is that he would frame the moment. And and that felt really truthful and also really, really sad. So we have to talk about the performances, I think, because Gabriel LaBelle plays Sammy. Um, there are other people who play Sammy as well because you see him grow up. But anyways, um, primarily through the movie, that's who you see. Uh, Michelle Williams plays Mitzi, Sammy Fableman's mother. Um, Paul Dano plays, I'm going to forget his name, but um, who is the, the patriarch. most people. <laughs> this is the point, right? In some ways. You remember Uncle Benny's name played by Seth Rogen more so than you remember Bert Fableman. But they were all 
amazing. Uh, the performances felt so lived in, so real. The chemistry was so good. Uh, you said you were moved to tears. I think the performances had so much to do with it. The actors were so good. Um, Michelle Williams, I have to get to her in a bit. But the one thing I realized is there's a particular scene where they shoot Gabriel LaBelle, uh, like a full length shot of him with his arms sort of on one hip. And it reminded me so much of uh, a shot of Spielberg that I remember from a behind-the-scenes uh, documentary. And I'm like, this kid, I could completely imagine is Steven Spielberg when he was young. Um, but getting back to Michelle Williams, my goodness, there are moments in this film which is just about her face and how how she comes to realizations while the camera is on her. Um, and very important, right, for a movie that is a movie that is about putting other people on film while they don't know that they are. So there's so many layers of being watched and she nails it so beautifully. I I mean, I, I'm plumbing for Michelle Yeoh for the Oscar because she's Michelle Yeoh. But if Michelle Williams won, I would have no complaints. This is so interesting because I... I thought there was a, a weird divide between the kids performing and the adults. Um, I thought the performances were, I wouldn't say weird or off, but the adults felt like they came out of a Spielberg fantasy almost, uh, if that makes Ooh. sense. Yeah, it's not bad, but it, it, it some of them were a bit cartoony at times. Like Michelle Williams, was, she was so good. Like she was amazing. But I felt like she was dramatic in a way that was more, um, there was more movie-ish. It but was hyper-mannered. It Is it the darling parts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those parts. And not darling. Um, sorry, doll. Doll. Yeah, yeah. And and ironically, like Paul Dano was the most composed. Like he didn't flip out in the middle of the movie and start yelling at someone for for no reason. But even his performances, um, his performance was a bit. I don't know. They just seem fantasy-ish. Whereas the kids were doing like very natural, very authentic, um, very like you said, like lived in. Um, and they felt more true to life. And so I, I kind of kept feeling like, oh, this is, they feel like they're in two different movies sometimes. I felt like it was on purpose. And I think that's why I liked it. I, I thought that the chemistry was supposed to be like that, that these were parents who were kind of obsessed. Oh, well, one parent anyway, who's kind of obsessed with her children, um, who so badly wants to be a good parent, but at the same time is so in her own world that it's near impossible because both parents are in their own bubbles, right? Bert is all about GE and IBM and technology and science. And Mitzi is all about, it's hard to say what Mitzi is about. I think Mitzi is looking for something, um, looking for something, looking to be needed, uh, looking for art. And I felt that because of that, they were meant to be like that and a little bit remote from the children, even though the movie is supposed to be about the family. So I thought it was on purpose. Oh, I 100% thought it was on purpose um, because the movie actually has a particular scene, I don't want to give it away, that is very much about how young Sammy crafts stories out of everyday life. And I kind of felt like the way we saw his parents was Stephen crafting stories out of the, the actual life they had. And so he picks the most cinematic narrative-worthy scenes to show us. It almost it almost felt like that. I, I'm sure it was intentional. Um, like you can't, like it's Steven Spielberg. So of course it's in, intentional. But for, I, I think I just felt like, oh, it's, it's it was a bit weird for me. 
Um, can I resurface a grumble that we've grumbled about before on this show? Uh, it's not about the movie per se, but this movie should have been released months ago uh, when it was in its original release window. Yes. They've, they've released it a week before Ant-Man, so we all know what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, the movie is available on demand, like online, so we know what's going to happen. Um, and it's a shame la, because this is, this is a movie that needs to be seen in the cinema. It's a very, very cinematic movie, even though it isn't marketed that way. Uh, it's a Steven Spielberg film. It's probably his most intimate work um, and there were three other people in my cinema on a, on a Sunday um, the two people in front of me the couple in front of me couldn't stop making out and then halfway through the film they got up and left so there's oh like God. one guy who makes out through the Fablemans left. of all things they, I, they were not there for the Fablemans uh, so they just got up and left and I'm like Man, this movie should be, people should see this on the biggest screen that they can find, which is impossible because it's being shown in the smallest cinemas that they have. Um, so that's just my thing, like distributors, you know, seriously, um, this is a weird way of not making money, I'm just saying. Mm, 100% agree. Um, and then it also leads to the Tarantinos of the world going, nothing's ever been worse. No one wants to watch movies. And you're like, we can't watch it. It's very difficult to watch. Um, if you still can, though, I would strongly recommend The Fablemans you should watch in the cinema you should re-watch it at home after that to think about it and mull it over and enjoy the music and the cinematography but you should watch it first in the cinema I feel very I think we all feel very strongly about this also as a sidebar Gabriel LaBelle looks like um, pre-serum Chris Evans right I, I just have to say this because it <laughs> to me it's so clear and I need I need like validation <laughs> Once Small you said Steve. it, I couldn't yeah. unsee it. Yeah, yeah tiny Steve. Steve. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We've been talking today about The Fablemans. Uh, let us know if you've watched it yet, if you plan to. If you love Spielberg, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.